Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. What does it mean to be an artist? It means freedom. My name is Titus Kafar. I'm a painter, filmmaker, artist. I think that I work in a lot of different mediums. I started as a painter specifically, and in many ways, I will always see the world through a painter's eyes, but artists feels like freedom. It feels like the opportunity to let other folks know, I'm gonna do it a little bit differently. And Titus Kafar has indeed been doing things differently. The New Haven-based visual artist holds numerous coveted awards and recognitions, including a MacArthur Genius Grant and a Time Magazine cover. In 2017, he completed a painting on stage while delivering his TED Talk. But the awards, the grants, the media attention, even the solo exhibitions in the nation's most prestigious spaces they don't seem to be the point for Titus. Instead, it's the work and the freedom it represents which define him as an artist. The first time I like engaged with your art was the Unseen exhibit um, at the Smithsonian. Can you just for a moment I feel like maybe people have have at least seen some reproductions of some of these works, and um, but but since it's radio and I can't show a picture, um, can you describe um, some of these pieces where we are, where you're literally peel? It feels like peeling down um, the canvas and and revealing what is behind. Can, can you just describe maybe one? So I mean, I think the most well-known if that's the right way to describe it piece in that exhibition is a painting called behind the myth of benevolence and that painting is actually based on a conversation that i had with an american history teacher um she is a 80 year old woman who i care for deeply but we share no political beliefs um i enjoy having conversations with people that believe differently than me generally um at some point, we got into a conversation about Thomas Jefferson. As I said, she's an American history teacher. She taught high school for 40 years. And at some point in the conversation, she said, well, Thomas Jefferson is uh, a benevolent slave owner. And that phrase confused me so much that I asked her to explain herself. And long story short, she wasn't able to do that. I left her kitchen table uh, perplexed, confused, upset, and went to the studio where I tend to deal with those kinds of emotions. I started a painting where on the surface layer you have uh, a black woman who is clearly sitting in a private space. It's dark, um, the background is blue, there's a um, bronze dish with water in it, maybe she's bathing. And in front of that is a portrait of Thomas Jefferson that is pushed to the side almost like a, a a curtain being drawn back 
And so behind this portrait of Thomas Jefferson is this portrait of this black woman. And the conversation in that painting speaks to the the sort of horrific, uh, I say horrific, um, circumstance of, of uh, Sally Mae Hemings um, and Thomas Jefferson. So you, as the artist, as the creator in that moment, are you hoping for a particular reaction from those of us who will view it? Early on in my practice, it became very clear that I have to find strategies to push out outside voices. So I'm not thinking about, <laughs> forgive me, you or anyone else um, in the process of making the paintings. Um, when I'm making these decisions, they have to come from an interior place. If they are rooted in trying to be didactic and teach a lesson or something like that, um, I find that the work that I make from that particular place uh, is not good. So, um, and, I, and, and I, I'm trying in part to move us to a place where um, I think all of us who create anything, whether understood as artists or otherwise, are pushed to believe that our product is good when it receives positive reviews or is well remunerated, right? So I want to know from you how you know that you've achieved it, that you've swept, that you've created what is, what is good for you. Maybe uh, the right approach or the right framing for that is when this object is done with me. Mm. Uh, that's, that's, that is when I know it's good. And what I mean by that is there are moments in a painting where you feel like you should keep going. I should keep doing this. I need to add more color there. This needs to happen, so on and so forth. But if you are properly engaged in the process of making the thing, the thing should be the conductor. The thing should dictate when it's done. And it will tell you, I am finished with you now. All right. So, so we're starting to get a little bit too, um, and, and undoubtedly just scratching the surface of, of your process, of your, um, of your relationship even with, um, with the objects that you're creating. And I wonder about the extent to which you feel pushed to frame your work um, as being relevant to the extent that it is relevant to these outside decision makers in the art world. Uh, like the story I told you about behind the myth of benevolence, all of this stuff is incredibly personal. And it's about getting the thing that is buried inside, outside, painting, sculpture, film. So when the work goes into the public space, at that point, it becomes necessary to let go in a way and let the work show you what it can do in the public, public sphere. And once it's in the world, then I get to see how, how, how other people engage with it. So people often say, what do you want people to think or feel when they experience the work? I, I just want them to think and feel. Okay, quick break, but don't go anywhere. I've got more with Titus Kafar in just a moment. It's The Takeaway. Want to add your voice to our show? Sign up for our Listener Response Network. Just text the word START to 70101. Again, that's START to the number 70101. Standard data and messaging rates may apply. 
And you can text the word STOP anytime to opt out. On this week's On the Media, one former NPR editor's grievances are reverberating far beyond a Substack essay. He claims wokeness is ruining the place. That marginalized people are storming the barricades and dictating that this story happens and this story gets killed and we're going to use this language and not use that language. That's not what I saw. On this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and I'm still with Titus Kafar, artist and now documentary filmmaker of the recently released short film, Shut Up and Paint. The conversation that black artists have been having is like, these things that we make exist in white spaces, in white people's houses, and they become separate from us and disconnected from us in a way that just feels not just. And Titus and I talked about why he has no plans to stop speaking. I recognize that the things that I struggle with the world sees as political. I recognize that when they see my painting where there are two black men in the center and their hands are up and it's whitewashed and there's a frantic energy to every brushstroke. I know that people see that and think, oh, this is, this is about Black Lives Matter. The reality is that painting is about me and my brother walking down the street of Chelsea and being stopped by police officers with their hands on their guns. And while my white collectors walk by, I am now made to look like a criminal when I've done nothing. So all of this stuff that that can be received as these political act is personal. And the film you're talking about is uh, a short film that was shortlisted for an Oscar, but did not get nominated, which is totally fine. Um, There's some really great documentaries out there right now that um, are talking about some really important stuff. And so I'm excited for them. But that film was about this conversation that I was having with a particular dealer who was trying to convince me that if I would just stop talking so much about the difficult things for me in terms of the politics of my conversation in interviews, he was specifically talking about, um, that he could sell more of my work. And spoiler alert, uh, my response is why, why would I why would I do that? Why would I do that? If I make that change, there's really no reason for me to make work anymore. Because then that's about you. That's really not about me. Um, and I'm selfish uh, in my practice. I'm selfish. I do this for. I do this for me. I was gonna say it's also kind of wild, isn't it? Like it's not like shut up and paint the wall in my kitchen. <laughs> it's <laughs> like like how could you create something that isn't speaking? Well, I mean, here's the thing. In some ways, I'm not surprised by his response. I'm, I'm disturbed by it because you, he, was supposed to be my representative. For you to say that means you fundamentally do not understand why I make what I make and what it means to me. You cannot represent me anymore. Um, 
the the to take this conversation a little bit further, that same person, um, being vague purposely, um, that same purpose person um, uh, is suing me, not for the film. He's suing me in order to force a judge to say that I have to sell him my work. I did an exhibition. We had a bunch of work in the show. They said they they couldn't sell everything. They sold all the work except for two, but they were going to keep trying. Long story short, they decided that they wanted to keep those two very best paintings for themselves. And so for me, this film does become more didactic in a way than a lot of other of my work because it gives me the opportunity to say to the young artist that I mentor, hey, don't play with these contracts. <laughs> Make sure you have a lawyer. <laughs> Do it right. Um, it's it's unfortunate, um, but the reality is he broke no laws. He broke no laws. Was what he did uh, moral? No, no, it was not. Was it principled? No, no, it was not. But did he break any laws? No, no, he did not. Let's stick with this for a second because... Um on the one hand, you talk about um, being selfish or at least centering yourself in the production of your work and the relationship with your objects. But then you, you move fairly quickly here to mentor. Talk to me about how you understand mentoring um, and maybe whether or not you yourself had it um, and are reproducing it or if you didn't and are creating it whole cloth. Yeah, I mean, mentorship is incredibly important to me. I started a project called Next Haven, which is a, a forty-five thousand not for profit, forty-five thousand square foot not for profit space in New Haven, Connecticut, where we invest in young Black and Brown artists. We give them studio space for a year. We give them a professional development curriculum. We give them thirty-five thousand dollars. We give them housing, um, and in that curriculum, we teach them how to manage the business of art because that's not something you you really get in school very much. Um, and most importantly, we s help them connect with mentors, every uh, mentees, every every artist in our project has a high school apprentice that they work with. Um, and those high school students come in and get paid to work with um, these artists, thereby introducing them to art at a very high level. So mentorship is incredibly important, incredibly important to me. And that's not just mentorship, right? That is, that's resourcing, that's investment, right? Um, I don't like the, as you pointed, just like the off the top of your head, trite kind of, what's your advice for young artists? But but I will ask, you know, in, in that work that you're doing, I'm wondering if there is, um, if there's a grounding that you're willing um, to share kind of broadly. Sure. I think one of the challenges about this moment for young artists is what's good, you know, that question that we were talking about earlier, really becomes determined by the number of likes you have. And... What, what you and I just talk about, talked about was this idea that maybe what's good has more to do with your relationship to the thing that you are making. And when that thing informs you that it's done with you, that you are done with me, you have, you have a lot more to learn, but from this particular 
this particular object, it's time to it's time to to move on, to set it aside and keep going on to the next one. And so I, I think that what I really focus on with the artists that I'm mentoring is trying to figure out how to hear your own voice. Not my voice, not your professor's voice, not the artist who's doing better than you, not the person on TikTok who makes more money. How do you hear your voice? Titus Kafar is painter, activist, artist, filmmaker of the new documentary, Shut Up and Paint. Titus, thank you for not shutting up. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>